Well, this is also the reason why I think eCash is coming back now, because it needs a big Bitcoin. eCash is almost worth nothing if you don't have a free sovereign monetary layer below it. And we found the base money of the internet. Hello there, how are you all? Are you having a good week? It's pretty chilled over here. The football season's coming to a close and we've just completed our event last week. So we're going to have some downtime before I head out to Miami for the big conference. Hopefully I will see some of you there. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by RS Energy, the largest NASDAQ listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I have Callie on the show. Now, Callie has been working on LM Bits and on an eCash project called Cashew. And he recently came to me through a highly recommended shout out from Ben Ark. Now, I wasn't sure what to expect with this one. I don't always enjoy the more technical shows. But honestly, this is one of my favorite shows I've recorded in a long time. Now, Callie is a real cypherpunk. And I really appreciate the way he approaches this project. And really just the way he approaches privacy in general. Now, in this one, we get into David Chaum and the history of eCash and why it needed Bitcoin to be able to succeed. Now, you're going to love this one, but if you've got any questions about it, you can hit me up. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com, or you can jump into our Discord via our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash whatbitcoindid. Morning, Kelly. Good morning, Peter. I'm not... Fucking hell, you're just giving me away. You just gave me away as well. <laughs> yeah, but you're, 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 Kelly's a secret name. Peter is a secret name as well. No, that's my real name. You have the larger anonymity set than I do. Fuck's sake, I was going to be in disguise. I'm, my name is Ben. <laughs> Actually, my name is Ben. Uh, fuck, that shit's too hot. I don't know how you, you and Gigi do this. Oh, man. How are you, brother? I'm doing really, really good. Good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Dude. I'm big, big fan of your show. So uh, it's great, great to be here. Well, thank you for coming to Bedford. Cool. You're a... Uh, you got to be the uh, first Bitcoiner who came to my bar. Yes, I was at your bar and I wish you a lot of success with it. I think it's going to be a success story. I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. Right. Um, oh, and you're coming to the football today as well. I forgot even about that. You're basically going full Bedford. Full program. I saw most of Bedford today. I'm going to see the football match today. We're, you're going to win, right? Well, so yes, we, we're going to win. Yeah. But I don't know if we'll win the league today. But if we win, we've kind of won the league. It's very close. Step by step. Step by step. So listen, Ben Ark is a huge fan of yours. We're uh, we're big fans of Ben. Ben's been on the show how many times now? Two, three times? Twice. Twice. Yeah. yeah, he's coming down to Bedford for our event next week. He is like, dude, you gotta get you gotta get Kelly on the show. That is so cool. I'm I'm a I'm also a big fan of Ben myself. He is basically my mentor in a sense. <laughs> He's such, so, a, he's such a nice guy yeah. as well. He's like a nice Bitcoiner. Yeah, absolutely. And so I got involved with Ben because I started contributing to LM Bits a lot, the project that uh -huh. he's, he's working on. And at some point, he just asked me to join the team, basically, and we started working together. Ben is really like, in the beginning, he held my hands, showed me a little bit how to, you know, how to get involved and probably the reason why I'm sitting here today. So I'm very, very grateful. He's an amazing person. I agree. I think he's an amazing person. Oh, God, I sound so deep, deep voice today. Hello. So over. Sound like Matthew Majinski. <laughs> I'm, I'm, the bass. I'm trying to go, go down as well. Can you hear that bass? <laughs> um, uh, so we also, yesterday we had um, Obi in with us mm -hmm. uh, from Feddy Mint. And uh, we got you out to, together last night. What a coincidence. No fights. 
No, no fights at all. No, we had, we had an amazing conversation. Actually, I'm I'm very friendly with with the guys from Fame and especially uh, Eric. I've uh, known him um, before I met Obi as well. Eric is actually the person who uh, Ikesh pilled me. So I, I also my thanks goes to him. He he earned a lot of respect in the community for that. So he told me what eCash is, and that's the reason why I started looking into it and made this alternative project, Cashew, which uh, together with Fediment are the, I think, the hottest eCash projects out there. I'm very happy that these projects are on Bitcoin and not on any other kind of system. Well, let's get into that. Let's. I mean, there's so many things we could talk about with you today. I know Danny talked to you about all kinds of shit last night. He's like, mm -hmm. Pete, we could make three shows with Kelly today. Um, but let's talk about eCash. Mm -hmm. That's uh, pertinent to Bitcoiners right now. Uh, big up to David Chaum. Bit of a bit of a legend in the digital currency space. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I actually got to meet him in London a couple of years ago. Oh, uh, how did that go? That was good. Really interesting. Uh, I, I met a guy who was at a period of reflection. Um, but uh, just it was just incredible to be with such a prominent person in the. Uh, I would call him a, a Bitcoiner, really, because even though he worked on projects previous to Bitcoin, obviously he inspired the work. He's uh, cited in the white paper. You know, he nearly created Bitcoin. Maybe you know he but nearly did. And as far as I know, he doesn't like Bitcoin that much today. I I caught in a point of self reflection, mm -hmm. and I th I think his dislike for Bitcoin is probably not disliking Bitcoin, it's more, uh, if there was another Bedford team that came up behind us and were really successful and it was great for the town, mm -hmm. I would probably struggle to enjoy it because it wasn't the one I did. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I hope if he knows about Cashew that he would be just proud to see that his ideas are flourishing today. So he's, he's should, should we just go into how, how it all started with him? Yeah, please do. Yeah, so... Uh, David Chaum is this um, legendary cryptographer and he, he published his paper in 1982. So it's way, way before anything with Bitcoin. It's actually the first cryptocurrency, like historically speaking, it's the first cryptocurrency invented. Before you were born? Before, way before. Yeah. I, I was a little boy, I was just about to start school. So yeah, and uh, they had this idea and it was way before also the internet became a thing really, right? So um it was called, you know, making something like making a payment system with blind signatures. And what this basically allows you is to create an electronic cash system that is perfectly private. Uh, it is not a decentralized system like Bitcoin is. It is more like how to build a bank. That's, that's the way they thought about it before, because there was no other way thinking about it. How to make a bank that doesn't know who you are, how much you have and who you're transacting with, which is a completely revolutionary idea. And so that was 1982. And this idea just floated around, I guess, for almost a decade. And then they started this company called DigiCash. Mm -hmm. DigiCash is well known for its attempt to bring eCash to the world, basically. Well, you say it's well known. Some people here won't realize the history of the project or why it failed. So maybe you should tell a little bit. Mm. Yeah, so I think DigiCash itself it had a couple of products. I think the most successful one was uh, toll booths. So, uh, you know, you would have some kind of a card that you could use to drive through the toll booth and just pay anonymously. So that was the idea. I think that was also the cash cow for the company. But uh, there were many other uh, business opportunities for DigiCash. For example, like the stories are crazy. Microsoft approached them to ask, 
you know, they wanted to put an eCash wallet into every Windows 95 copy. Just imagine that. Yeah. That, that was before before credit cards on the internet took off. That was before PayPal was there. It was, uh, they almost put it into every home computer on the planet. But, but just a bit before every uh, home Mac had a copy of the Bitcoin white paper put on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a bit, bit before that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but that that deal never went anywhere. So it probably, and that's when you when you start researching it, it's because David Chaum then just changed the terms of the contract and wanted more than Microsoft was able to give. Uh, that was Microsoft. Visa also approached him or them and wanted to build it into their payment system to make a completely anonymous payment system, probably an alternative to paying with credit cards today on the internet also didn't go anywhere. So these are just one, two examples, and there are, there are a couple more, where eCash could have become a de facto standard of how we pay on the internet before any of these payment processors even came about. Uh, but it didn't, didn't happen. Probably, and that's, again, when you start researching it, it's about David Chaum not, not really agreeing to the terms of these, of these companies. So, yeah. and then PayPal comes, comes uh, credit cards come, uh, now we have them and it's a total shit show. Everyone knows exactly what you're doing. Uh, you can be censored. You know, your accounts are being closed uh, at a win. And uh, your credit cards are insanely bad. You basically enter your private keys every time you make a transaction into a website. Just imagine that you, know, you give the website the ability to take all your money just for making a $150 payment or something. So the state of payments on the internet is absolutely bad. And then, you know, nothing happened. We just have these legacy payment rails. eCash is dead for 20, 30 years. No one cares about it until Bitcoin comes about. And with Bitcoin, I think it kind of refreshed interest for, you know, going back, looking at these, at these uh, technologies. Yeah. And David Chaum is, was, was and is a huge advocate of privacy always discussed how it's one of the fundamental pillars of democracy without privacy you don't have democracy mm-hmm. and bitcoin has a interesting privacy story in that uh, if you're smart enough if you're cali or you're matt odell you probably you know max hillebrand you understand privacy you understand the mistakes you can make but i would say for 99 percent of bitcoiners they're going to make a mistake and they're going to give up their privacy uh, and I think real privacy will come to Bitcoin when it's taken out of the hands of the user to actually figure it out. It just mm. comes inherently. And so my understanding of eCash is that it kind of does a lot of that for you. Yeah, so uh, big uh, disclaimer here because uh, I don't want anyone to confuse this. eCash is a custodial system. So it's a way to make custodial apps like Wallet of Satoshi. And I'll just, let's take Wallet of Satoshi for the example because everyone knows what it is. Uh, to make something like Wallet of Satoshi in a way that it doesn't know what you're doing with all these privacy benefits. So it is, you know, it could be as easy as using Wallet of Satoshi, but you don't hold your Bitcoin. Uh, But I agree with you. I think privacy can only win if it happens on a very, very large scale. That's basically, you know, the requirement for privacy is that your anonymity set is large enough. And as long as it is so easy to fuck up your privacy in Bitcoin, uh, it's not really, you know, useful for everyday folks. I think this is very important, actually, and also the reason why I'm working on this is to make it kind of a default. Yeah. There's been a lot of criticism recently for the state of, uh, of custodial wallets within Lightning, mm-hmm. in that 
the majority of people are using custodial wallets, especially something like Nostra. People are using something like the wallet of Satoshi. I used to use Blue Wallet. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a range of wallets I use now, but custodial solutions are a lot easier than running your own Lightning node. Yeah. Significantly easier, uh, significantly less friction. Um, is that th something we should be worried about? And, and I'm going to tee that up by saying I don't worry about it because the major the vast majority of my Bitcoin is base chain Bitcoin. I keep a very small amount. Uh, in a custodial Lightning wallet, uh, an amount where if I lost it, it would be annoying, but I wouldn't care. A bit like if I lose my money on, on my cash in my pocket on a night out, it's annoying, but it does, it's not going to significantly change my life. How do you feel about the whole custodial versus non-custodial? Uh, I see it very similarly. So no one should store their, their wealth in a custodial service. You just, you know, we, we should work all together to, to explain it to everyone that a wallet of Satoshi is not your real Bitcoin. You don't hold the keys, you can lose it. And the value proposition of Bitcoin itself, that you're the sole cust uh, you're the sole owner of your Bitcoin, you have full control and sovereignty. Absolutely. But still, I agree with you that custodial services just, it's de facto, it's being used not because people are stupid, but because it gives them some certain value that other wallets cannot give it give them. Uh, so for example, Lightning Address. Lightning Address is a typical example that, that is supported by many, many custodial wallets, but not so much by non-custodial ones. Getting tips on, on Twitter, just uh, on, on Nostr. You, you cannot, you know, you would have to run your own server somewhere uh, in your basement to be able to receive tips while you're, you know, offline, basically. And that's why custodial services are used. Now, the way I approach this, you know, it could be formulated as a problem. I just, the way I approach this is, this is a reality. The biggest used, the most used lightning wallet today is Wallet of Satoshi. Now, what I'm proposing with Cashew or with eCash general, generally, is to just improve the privacy of these users that already opted in for something like that. And they kind of their they kind of their 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 reasons why they want to use it. I don't want to judge that, uh, but if they do, and if we have a way to improve their privacy without any you know uh, decrementing their user experience, then we should do it. Okay, cool. Okay, so let's talk about eCash. Explain to me what eCash is and how it works, and you know where is it within the Bitcoin stack? Yeah. So eCash is completely separate from Bitcoin. It works very, very differently. I think for Bitcoiners, it's a very uh, alien concept because what we are used to is we have a blockchain that is somewhere in the ether and you hold your keys on your wallet and then you make a transaction, you publish it to this blockchain and then it gets, gets recorded in the blockchain, right? So uh, eCash works completely differently. Uh, with eCash, you basically hold not the keys to your money, but the money itself and is represented as a piece of electronic data. So it is... You know, I, I told Danny the story yesterday. It is how I imagined Bitcoin to be when I first heard about Bitcoin. Wrongly, because it wasn't explained well to me. But when I first heard about Bitcoin, I thought, hey, well, that's, that sounds like a torrent for money. It's a network of computers sharing some, something. And what I imagined was that you hold kind of the money in your hard drive. And then when you want to pay something, you take a piece of it and send it over a wire. 
just, you know, like you would send someone uh, cash through an envelope, for example. Uh, but yeah, I was corrected. That's not how Bitcoin works. Bitcoin is the signing on a blockchain, etc. But that's actually how eCash works, which is funny because I rediscovered this idea when, when I discovered rediscovered eCash. So eCash is a piece of electronic data that you hold on your device, like your phone, for example, that represents the money that uh, could be something on your wallet or Satoshi account. And then you send it through Telegram through email, through some encrypted channel or whatever, to someone else. And then in the Hold last... On. So you're sending them a piece of data and then they hold that piece of data and that's the money? Yes, exactly. So that's why that thing yesterday with Obi showed us with... You were able to send it hopefully offline. Yeah. So last night, Kelly did an example, which maybe at some point in the show you should do for Pete, you should send him some. So mm -hmm. Let's do it now. How do I do it? Yeah, we can do it. I don't have my phone with it though. Here you go. What do I need? So you can send. Do I need to download something? No. Uh, you, you can send him the eCash that you sent me last night. All right. So, all right. Let's do this. Uh, Pete, you open your Safari browser and you go to cashew.me. That is one cashew wallet. There are multiple cashew wallets. Cashew.me. Uh, just disclaimer for everyone listening: don't put your money in there. It's just for experimentation. This is still in development. But I'm going to show you how eCash works. Okay. So I, I have. One sec, sorry, I just need to you go. Do I need to do receive eCash? Um, not yet. So first, you know, it's a push system. It's in, uh, you know, it doesn't work like lightning where you pull a, a payment. I need to push your money over. So I have now Denny's phone. There are uh, 1,024 Satoshis on there. Uh -huh. I'm going to press send eCash and just enter an amount, let's say 64, 64 Satoshis. Send tokens. So... Um, Let's do let's do the uh, the messenger way. Yeah, you can open Telegram and send it so to people. I'm gonna look. So I get yep. this random string now. This is the money. So I'm gonna copy this just a normal to copy. And I'm going now to Telegram and let's see if I can. I'm, I'm scrolling through. This is uncomfortable for me. But <laughs> here we go. I found you. And now I just paste it. You just received a message, I think. Yeah. With this random looking string, you copy that. That is the money. You okay. copy that. And then you go to your to your cashier wallet and you say receive eCash and paste it in. Receive. Paste. Ah, there we go. It's gone. That was it. That's 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 really quick and it's really cool. Very cool. Zero Satoshi fee. No traces left. No one knows what just happened. And no there's no sending to another person, so there's no connection. Okay. It happened off band. We just send it to you through Telegram. And so the, the code I put in knows... How, how does that know what amount of money that is? Is that just an encrypted amount of money? Um, so it's been signed by the server. So I can, ah, I can explain... That's decentralization, right? Yes, exactly. So uh, for, for anyone listening who might now wonder, why can't I just copy-paste this money and send it to other people as well, right? So how do you double solve spend. the double spending? Yeah. And that is the invention of eCash, how it works, is that in order to complete the transaction, what I just did, I took my eCash from the hard drive, I sent it over to you. And what you did upon receiving, you just sent it to the server and said, here are 64 Satoshis, burn them and give me a new one. And huh. that burns, it's invalidated, it cannot be double spent anymore. But the, the key point is here, this eCash, what I just sent you, cannot be correlated to what you sent back to the server. So that's the privacy. The server doesn't know that when it receives eCash from you to be recycled, it doesn't know that it's the same eCash that it gave me before. That's a blind signature uh, thing. I can actually, there's a beautiful example on how to uh, imagine this, how it works. If you like, I just give you this example. 
uh, it's a physical example. Um, so imagine you have a, let's say a bank account, right? You have, um, and you want to uh, get e-cash from your bank account. And what you would do is you take the, uh, you take a contract, you write a contract in, on which it says, uh, bank, you owe me one BTC, right? If I get one BTC, uh, it says on the contract. Now you take the contract and you put it into an envelope that is made of carbon paper. You know, carbon paper is the one where you write yep. on top of it, press it through, right? So you take an envelope made of carbon paper and you put your contract inside that envelope, you close it, right? And then you send the envelope, the closed one, to the bank, to the mint, we say. And then the mint says, okay, you want to have a signature on there? Send me one Bitcoin. You send one Bitcoin to the mint and the mint says, okay, you send me Bitcoin and takes a pen and signs it on the outside of this envelope. So on the closed envelope, it makes a signature and sends you back the envelope. Now, because this wasn't real paper, it was actually encryption, you're the only one who can open the envelope again. When you open the envelope, what you get is a contract that you've written uh, on which it says, you owe me one Bitcoin with the signature of the mint. But the key point is that the mint has never seen the contract. This is a blind signature. Ah, okay. The mint has never, so when you can now, this is the money, the contract is the money. You can now send me this contract via Telegram, for example, and I can take it and I can go to the mint and say, hey mint, you know, pay me one Bitcoin out and here's the proof that I deserve it. And then the mint will see this contract and say, well, I've never seen this contract before, but I can see my signature on there. So I must honor this. I choose to honor this. There is no way to make sure that they will honor it. But if they're, if they're, uh, you know, if they're honest, then they, they would. But the key point is they don't know that this contract, what, what I give them, is the contract that you made them to sign. Okay. That's how it works. It's very cool. It's very cool. Um, so the eCash protocol... There is an eCash protocol or is there a Cashew protocol, which is an implementation of eCash? Yeah, eCash is a mechanism um, and Cashew is a protocol to implement that. And so there, would no be, there wouldn't be any interoper, interoperability between, say, uh, Cashew and Fedimint? No, uh, although they have very similar uh, way of working, it's not. But there's interoperability because it's a protocol. There's interoperability across cache wallets. This is just yeah. one wallet that I showed you. There are like four different wallets. So essentially, there. we have this uh, blossoming ecosystem where we have our base chain Bitcoin, we have our Lightning, whether it's custodial or non-custodial. We have uh, Liquid. We have Feddy Mint. We have Cashew. Like a whole variety of ways to now start using your Bitcoin elsewhere and in different ways. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a question on that. So you just sent 64 sats. You could do that through Lightning reasonably privately. Like why, why should people care about eCash? Um, so you can do that about Lightning, and you should also do that about uh, with Lightning non-custodially if you can and if you have the ability and everything goes okay. But there are a couple of problems with that already. First of all, right now we don't have receiver privacy for Lightning yet. So if I pay you the 64 sets and you make an invoice on your note, I know exactly what your note is and I can infer your balances and so on. So Lightning has privacy issues on the receiver side. Sender side is excellent privacy. So you, you have that. And the other thing with Lightning is that uh, it is not fully reliable yet. So once you start streaming sets, for example, you want to make a payment every 10 seconds, it's very likely that one of these payments will get stuck. And in the worst case, you will have to wait two weeks until you can get it back. So that's just how Lightning works. It's you know sending this HTLC across different nodes. And if one of them goes just offline in the meantime, 
then you wait. So although Lightning is great and I urge people to look into how to use it non-custodially, it doesn't cover all the different ways of how to use Bitcoin. And with eCash, you can you know, start doing things that you cannot do with Lightning. For example, I could just put this eCash into a data package. For, let's say, I don't know, uh, I want to make a... I want to stream a video on, on Netflix, right? Uh, I, could, I could design a Netflix where you don't pay a monthly fee, but you top up your eCash balance. So you download eCash from Netflix by paying with Bitcoin, for example. And then you just, for every minute that you want to stream, you just send them a bit of eCash and they can just see, okay, this is eCash. I issued this. This person has the right to receive one minute of video. And you can just keep on doing that with the kick with the twist that they don't know who you are. You don't even need an account on Netflix in that model. You just buy the tokens and then you spend them as you, as you use it. And if you don't want them anymore, you say, please pay it out again on Bitcoin, on Lightning or whatever. You send them the tokens, they burn it and give you back your Bitcoin that they owe you. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So how far away is Cashew from being uh, live and able, we're able to use it in a live environment? So what we just did was using it in a live environment. Yes, so but you said, there, uh, yes. you said it's a beta, did you? So Cashew is um, not even half a year old that I started working on this. And there are a couple of people who joined working on this with me. So we're very, we're very young, but it's out there. You can try it and you can implement it. That's, that's even way better than just you know, trying it out there if there are developers out there. So really. they're actual sats. This isn't a... The actual real sets. This is actual real eCash that you can exchange for actual real sets on Lightning. See, I always find this use of the term, I was talking to Obi about this eCash term, uh, a distraction. I think it's mis it misleads people into thinking they're using something else. And I know it's not actual sets, it's a representation of sets, yeah. but it's sets. Okay, then, to me, then I agree sets. with you. I agree with you because... Um, it makes it makes it way easier to to talk about it and to imagine it. I but, but I haven't created a wallet here. Like I haven't signed up. Um, there is no there is no user accounts. There are no wallets. Uh, so basically, the server doesn't even know that you exist. The server just said, uh, "Someone paid this Lightning invoice. I'm going to give them eCash." What if I lose this phone? Then your money it. is gone. Oh, okay. There is a way to back it up, though. There is I mean, a way to back. There is a way to back it up, and uh, we're also working on better ways to back it up. So. Uh, if Pete tried to send that to me to like a moon wallet now, would that work? Yeah, that would work. Really? Yeah, what you do is you create an invoice on your moon wallet and then you ask the mint to pay the invoice for you. And for that, you have to give them these. Should these we do it? Yes, do it. I want to see this. Okay, but how does, the, how does this wallet know it's me? Is it, is, there some, is it an ID in my phone? No. But how do, so if I close so, this browser and come back, will it still know those 64 yeah, sets of mine? it will be stored in your browser browser data there. And that's it. But it's like cash. It, like when you make a cash transaction, no one knows who you are. Right, pay invoice. So I've got a 64 sat invoice. Oh, make it a bit less because oh, there will be fees. fees. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll do a 50 sat invoice. Well, there we go. Moon, moon is notoriously slow. Yeah. It's paying. Anyone listening, I'm paying. It's word. Holy shit, that's fucking cool. That is really cool. Okay. What you just did there is <clears throat> you burned eCash and you said, you told the Mint, please pay this invoice for me. The Mint doesn't have a concept of you. It doesn't know that you're one person or whatever. And the Lightning invoice that you just paid cannot be correlated back to any person. So basically, it's a pool of money. You put it in and someone takes it out again. 
This show is brought to you by Wasabi, who I will now be using to make sure I keep my Bitcoin private. Now, Wasabi makes Bitcoin privacy effortless as the wallet allows you to send and receive Bitcoin privately. Wasabi is incredibly easy to use, even for a non-technical person like me, as it provides you with privacy by default. There's no minimum amount, so you can start coin joining straight away. And Wasabi uses CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay and Trezor users. Also, BTC Pay server users can even make payments in CoinJoin, which saves on fees and is a massive privacy improvement. Also, from April the 19th, Trezor Suite users can now make CoinJoins on the hardware wallet, saving on fees and also providing superior security. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I. W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Next up, we have BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino. Trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they have fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best online casino for Bitcoiners. Now, if you want to find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, please head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Also, today we have Gemini, who I'm using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying right now. I'm a hodler. I'm not selling. We're in a bull market, but I'm also using the Gemini app for buying the dips. And I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I've been stacking sats through this bear market. Now, both the app and website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. And Gemini are running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Can he send me sats from my, from his Moon wallet into my eCash wallet? Yes. And, does it, and it's at the reverse? Yes. It, it burns them and turns them into... Exactly. Okay. I want, just because I'm me, mm-hmm. I want an app or something that I know that if I lose my phone, I still got it. I want, I, I feel... It's weird just going to a browser. So, yeah, but Callie, you've put the browser to my home screen now, so I have like a, a cashew app here. I can ah, okay. It's effectively an app, but you're using it. It is a browser. But I need a back. I need a backup. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, you'll have just a seed phrase that helps you to restore your eCash. It's not. It looks like a Bitcoin seed phrase, but it's not really the same thing. Uh, but uh, just by storing a seed phrase, you'll be able to just restore your eCash in case you lose the device. And the, the beautiful, the beautiful thing about it, it, it's so simple, like money. In that, all it does is that you send it and receive it. That's all I need to. That's all I need. Yeah. That's that's all you need for money. It's like my pocket. I literally, my pocket does the same. I have. It stores the money I have, and I either give it or receive it. And if you lose it, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's so, so beautifully simple. Yes, it is. And so what we're looking at these uh, wallets, uh, I've, built it, I've built this for people to be able to imagine what eCash is, but that is not really the goal for me with Cashew itself. Cashew is supposed to be a protocol. It is already a protocol. There is a spec out there. You can read it and can start building stuff on it. What I imagine is that, you know, there will be and there are 
hundreds and thousands of web services out there who will, you know, just give you some service for your Bitcoin, your website. I don't know. You want to read news, paywall news, for example. Then you top up your balance and then you start reading the news. And the problem with that is the website that allows you to do that can track exactly what you're reading because it knows it, it's related to this one payment that you did. They need to do it. That's how, that's how custodial services work. Yeah. So uh, Cashew is basically a drop-in replacement. You can, almost all of the custodial services I know of today, you can take out this classical database ledger where it says you have this, and this much money and whatever. You can replace it with the Cashew protocol and build something that has the same functionality, but with this improved privacy. For example, you're, you're, you're mining, right? I am mining. You have, a, you have a miner in a pool. Every miner in a pool is a user of a custodial service, right? They have your Bitcoin and they send it out to you regularly when you mine. So this pool knows exactly how much you mine. They know how much you earned. Yeah. yeah. And they send it out on a daily basis. Yes. You can do that with eCash and they don't, they don't know anything about it. Yeah, I also wonder, I've always wondered on that because they're paid on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. How much money is being wasted in fees having a daily payout on my mining? I hope they're batching their transactions, I don't know. Yeah, no idea. Um, okay, very cool. How do you differ from Fediment? So Fediment is an excellent project. Um, you know, people also should look into that. Cashew is not really trying to compete with that. Um, rather, as far as I understand, I'm, I, I mean... I. I don't want to talk too much about other people's projects. They should do it. But as far as I understand, Fediment's approach is more about community custody. Yeah. So what they focus on, and this is Eric's work, and it's excellent. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of his work. Um, they focus on this federated aspect. So you have multiple custodians, basically. They all share the keys to the multi-sig where the Bitcoin is stored. And what we just did, basically, they do it with not only one mint, like there is not only one party controlling the mint, but there are N parties controlling the mint, which makes things a bit more complicated to build and to integrate, but it gives you the uh, increased risk, uh, a decreased risk of getting rug pulled, basically. You would have multiple people have to collude in order to take away your, your Bitcoin. Uh, your real Bitcoin that you deposited there. So uh, I guess that is that is the fundamental difference between Fediment and, uh, and Cashew. But apart from that, they, uh, as far as I can see, use the very overall same concept. Yeah, so they're, they're solving uh, multi-sig for communities. Mm -hmm. They're becoming almost like a community bank. You're someone's pocket full of cash. Yes, and uh, I, I can see Cashew just taking over the entire web because... So not only a pocket, not only the cash in your pocket, but every website that you use that has some kind of a balance, you can use Cashew. And that will be, it's very easy to implement. We mm. just made it very easy to implement. Again, I, I can also think about like when we run our conference next year, mm -hmm. everyone having a Cashew app and that being the payment system for at the conference where you're buying tickets, buying merchandise, buying beers. It'd be like, a, I was thinking about it with regards to Fediment, you could do a uh, short-term federation. I can think of these use cases where everyone come to the conference has privacy at the event for all their interactions with each yes. other. And it works kind of offline. So you could do it on a conference where, you know, internet connectivity is bad, for example. You can just use Cashew internally because you have them in somewhere uh, listening to everyone and doing these transactions. And when you exit the conference, again, you go to the counter and you say, I want my Bitcoin back. You give them your eCash. They give you your Bitcoin. I really like it. 
It doesn't make it doesn't make you any money doing it though. There's no services, no, are no, there? Absolutely not. This is uh, this is a protocol. Um, we're writing a protocol that people can use to build stuff on. I I'm not a, you know I'm not running a custodial service or whatever. I'm working on this uh, this this idea. Who runs the mint? Um, you can run a mint today. There are multiple mints. Uh, there is an LNBits plugin, uh, an extension that you can you know when you install LNBits, it gives you this ability to do many, many different things with your Lightning Wallet. One of the things that you can do is just three clicks literally and you're, you're, you run a mint. So if you want to run a mint for your uh, bar or your community or your website, uh, it's very, very easy to set up. You just need a Lightning node in the backend that does the Lightning stuff and use one of these wallets that we've written. And is there an issue, like a regulatory issue for whoever's running the mint? Um, I don't know and I don't care. I <laughs> love it. Good answer. Why don't you? Why don't you care? <laughs> it's not my business. I don't know. Love I mean, uh, the, the world is big. There are many different places out there. Uh, you can do stuff here, but you cannot do it there. I mean, why would I care? People should do whatever they think is best. Fuck yes. Okay. Uh, what critic? Have you received any criticism? Yes, um, definitely. So first of all, uh, to avoid criticism, and because I'm a real Bitcoiner and I know what the value of of holding your own keys is, I say it again, cash is a custodial service. Don't use it if you don't want to use custodial services. That is the main point of criticism because people kind of assume uh, that anything that is custodial is bad per se. I can understand that they shouldn't touch Wallet of Satoshi either, right? I'm just proposing this strict improvement on privacy on things like Wallet of Satoshi. Then there are multiple other problems with custodial services themselves that Cashew also inherits. For example, it's hard to prove that you don't uh, inflate the supply. So how do you know that a eCash mint didn't print more eCash than it has in Bitcoin reserves, right? It's a it's an kind of unsolved problem. We're literally working on it right now and there are promising ways to do that, but... Unsolved it, but solvable. Uh, theoretically unsolved yet. So there's no one, I think, out there who really knows how to do it yet, but we're very close at it. I hope We'll do it. So the moment that we know how to do it theoretically, we will build it practically. But at the same time, no one knows the same thing about Wallet of Satoshi. You don't know if they hold the Bitcoin that they say that they owe it to their customers. Yeah, that's, very, mm -hmm. that's very true. It's the same problem. It, yeah. Could you instantly um, could you instantly burn all sats received into Lightning? Yes. And therefore you would at least know if the uh, eCash you receive is real because it, it there would I assume there's some error when you send it to uh, a Lightning wallet there would be an error if, if yes, they weren't real exactly this is this is where the ideas actually go to this is uh, very fun funny that you actually follow this path because this is the way that you could try to improve these services having some kind of an epoch like a regular window time window where the supply has to be proven basically publicly Proof of reserves kind of that you own the bitcoin basically by cycling it around in a you know uh, regular intervals basically you could do that and once that doesn't work anymore everyone would know that there is something fishy going on with the mint so in that regard you you need to trust the mint also i mean we've been talking about this yesterday i'm not a big uh, uh, i don't know much about the free banking uh, ideas that some bitcoiners really 
and know a lot more about it. And uh, I think you've been also talking to people who, who do. But uh, we covered it yesterday with Matthew Mashinsky. He's a huge fan of the the era of free banking. Yeah, exactly. And there, there are a couple of. I'm I'm learning from them as as we're building this uh, this protocol, uh, which you know there's the idea that having uh, a level playing field where you can uh, you allow uh, different mints to pop up and offer these services. The idea is that in, in a world where competition is free, you would see an increase of efficiency. So uh, uh, natural selection would basically get rid of the bad guys and the good guys would remain the ones with the lowest fees and the highest trust, basically, that they have. And once you allow them to do to do these things. If you don't, I mean, this is the system that we live in today. If you want to you know, become a, a bank or a custodian, you have to jump through all these hoops and you're not allowed to uh, compete freely, basically, in the market. And if you fuck up, you get bailed out. Exactly. So you're allowed to take risk. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I positioned it to Matthew that I said, well, we do have free banking at the moment. Actually, we do. We have it with Bitcoin. That is actually free banking. Yeah, this is why people are excited about this. Exactly. That's the reason, because now we have the fundamental. This is also the reason why I think eCash is coming back now, because it needed big Bitcoin. eCash is almost worth nothing if you don't have a free sovereign monetary layer below it. Base money. Yeah, you yeah. need the base money. And we found the base money of the internet. So... We needed Bitcoin. Uh, we needed Bitcoin in order for these ideas to come back. I'm very convinced of that. Imagine building something like that, like with full privacy on the fiat rails. We were joking about this yesterday. I mean, it's basically you know you go to jail, straight to jail, basically. I could offer the same service with my bank account, right? Have the euros flow in and then issue e-cash to my friends so they can use my bank account uh, privately, basically. But once you start doing that, it's game over. So no one will, no one is. Interested in giving you privacy in the fiat world. It's just not not only, you know, it's possible, but no one would do it. No one would dare do it. And with Bitcoin, we don't ask for permission. We just build on top of it. And this is why you can see these things pop up again. And every wallet service built on top of uh, Cashew, so for example, the one I've just seen mm -hmm. on my uh, phone, is that have a separate mint? Is it one mint per service or can there be multiple mints? No, there can be multiple mints and uh, all of the wallets that are there today can use multiple mints. So basically what you can imagine is you have this this app on your phone and it's connected to many, many different mints. You have eCash from different mints. And once you want to make a payment from, you know, you're, you're the customer of Mint 1, I'm the customer of Mint 2, how do I pay you? It, the, the answer to that is Lightning. Lightning connects all the mints. Basically, it's like a connecting tissue between them. It's the clearing layer between mints, basically. They use Bitcoin for their intermint clearing. That's what they do. Intermint clearing. Um, so what is the incentive to set up a mint? Why would somebody do it? Um, to, I mean, what is the incentive to run a wallet like Wallet of Satoshi? Well, I, I assume well, the people who operate Wallet of Satoshi make a small amount of fees. Yes, that's probably what they do. And this is what you could do also with the cash mint. Oh, so, it'll be, so it'll, there'll be optional fees? This is a, it's a business question that someone has to figure out. I mean... Uh, I love how you answer your questions. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's not directly related to the technique itself, right? It's possible. So that to give you the answer, yes, that could be. But you could also offer it for free. The, what we just used was for free. You're basically an anarchist without being annoying, which is... <laughs> Which I quite like. <laughs> I, love I can it. be annoying if you like. I don't. I don't yeah. imagine you can be. Okay, so c could I? 
So could I build a CBDC? Holy shit. On Cashew. So um, the, um, there is a project called GNU Taller. Uh, it is a Swiss project. It's a research project um, led in Switzerland, but it's across Europe. People are researching it in different universities. It's called GNU Taller. And it's, I think, with Fediment and Cashew, the third eCash project that is significant on the planet. So uh, GNU Taller is an attempt to build an eCash system for fiat. And uh, they actually applied for the ECB's, uh, you know, how do you say, when, when they are looking for solutions for a CBDC, GNU Taller is one of the applicants. Oh, so they applied on their tender? Yeah. So uh, in the privacy community, I think it's, it's fair to say that amongst all the different CBDC proposals that there are, the eCash one is the least worst. So that is the one that people would prefer if we if we get a CBDC. I'm a very big, you know, I'm, I'm very much against CBDCs themselves, but it is fair to say that if we have to get one, we should probably get an eCash one. And uh, GNU, GNU Talar is applying for that, but here's a twist. They kind of fucked up the protocol because they need to make it compliant with the regulations. Uh, while in Cashew you have perfect privacy for you and me, for the receiver and the sender, in GNU Tala they built a backdoor for the receiver so the state can still tax the, the, um, the, the, I don't know, the business or whatever who's receiving money. So what they offer is perfect privacy for the sender, you as a customer, but no privacy for the receiver, for right. example, the merchant. But, but as a solution, that's way better than the system we have right now. Uh, it is way better than than these normal, you know, database entries where it says uh, this says Danny's money. Yes, so uh, uh, your bank account is is definitely worse than what Knutala would do. Yeah, that's quite cool. They're I, never going to allow it. No, they're not <laughs> never. Gonna, yeah, exactly. This is also my my view. They're they're not going to allow it. I this my I would bet that, and I think like they would probably take uh, the proposal of a very large bank that has the resources and doesn't care about privacy. Yes. Okay. Uh, obviously, privacy is hugely important to you. Mm -hmm. um, you're um, uh, an orange-faced, sunglass-wearing, flat cap-wearing uh, individual. Um, but how much can you tell me about? I, I, how much can you tell me about your background in terms of what are the triggers to get you to where you've become, how you've become who you are? Somebody, you know, we've spent 24 hours with you now. Understand a lot more about what you care about, what you don't care about. Your you care about privacy. Uh, you care about free markets, but you're very practical about it all as well. You're not, uh, I don't feel like you're ideologically driven. You're just uh, almost, you're almost driven by uh, fairness and proper incentives. That sounds yeah. about right. So yeah. like what led, what, how did, what led you to here? Well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a child of the internet and um, I've been, I've been, around on the internet for a long time and I've cycled through identities over and over and I think it's a very good thing to do on the internet because you just open yourself up to 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 the world basically and you leave a trace whatever you do I mean all my posts from back in the years or whatever they're still there so for me that is important because I spent much a lot of time there I need to just assure that you know I, I keep my secrets that I want to keep and share with friends that I want to share them with. Um, but I'm, I'm also a Bitcoiner and I think that Bitcoin is extremely important uh, for, for the freedom of, of humans. I think, you know, 
governments come and go, uh, ideologies come and go. And, but Bitcoin itself is something that will probably outlive these cycles of, you know, group affiliation and trying to impose your views onto someone else. I think it's, it's a technology that we need to protect. And uh, the most important thing that we can do is to assure that everyone who wants to participate in it will be safe. So that means uh, we, uh, they, can, they can stay private if they want to, uh, that everyone is invited to join. We need to be able to welcome every developer in Bitcoin. I think it's literally the lifeline of Bitcoin is education and development. And uh, I think the education part is going great. I think on the development side, we can do a lot better to, to increase, to make better incentives for people to join this, this, this community basically and start working on it. What do you think of the uh, loss of developers over the last year or so? Is it's, that concerning you? Absolutely. Okay. It's, it's a very, very big concern, especially, I mean, as a developer, it's myself, uh, it's, it's, a, it's very dangerous for Bitcoin to see this. Uh, I would rather see the number of developers go up steadily because we literally need every single person out there. Also, uh, you know, this is an outcry, uh, you know, I'm, I'm calling everyone listening. If you know a little bit of coding and you just didn't do anything yet for Bitcoin, then start looking into it. Start looking into Cashew, start looking into whatever you want, but start contributing because that's how you start. And every single contribution I think is valuable. We need to increase the number of developers just exponentially in order to make this project a success. I'm very convinced of that. And so seeing uh, developers leave for different reasons, for example, uh, being sued by some uh, psychopath, for example, uh, is uh, one of the reasons why people choose to leave or not join uh, Bitcoin. Um, four years into a lawsuit myself, I can testify that it's horrific yeah. uh, and it's a horrific process to go through. So uh, we need to end that. But uh, And I hope more developers come on anonymously like yourself so that threat doesn't exist. But um, I've been concerned by the number of developers leaving. My brother keeps... Uh, my brother's a researcher on the show, and he keeps bringing it up, saying we should be talking about this more. I know there's some people out there doing good work to try and recruit and incentivize developers, but there's a lot of companies or individuals who hold enough Bitcoin uh, to be able to support more developers, and uh, I, I wish they would. This um, sounds like a no-brainer to me. Yeah. I mean, uh, it sounds like the, oh, the best way to manage your risk if you're a large holder of Bitcoin is to invest in development. This is, you know, it's what keeps your money alive, basically. Uh, I think for me, it's an, I think many, many uh, whales out there don't know exactly how to help. Uh, I've heard that over and over again that, you know, they would wish, but they don't have the rails or don't, don't know where to go and where to start. Um, probably that, that's also something that we can improve a lot. There's open sets, for example, it's a foundation. There are multiple, like you can go to Brink and give them money and they will distribute it to developers. I think it's, you know, just from a risk management perspective, if you're, just imagine Michael Saylor has now 140k Bitcoin. How much of that should, I mean, just rational thinking. How much value is in that? It must be what? It's like buying a car. You need to keep it maintained, right? 3.6 billion or something. Something like that. Have you got a calculator, as he tell you? Yeah, he tweeted it yesterday. Uh, 4.17 billion. 4.17 billion. So uh, it's, uh, it's loose change. For yes. Michael, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to call him out here. I mean, I don't know if he is doing. I mean, he's doing a lot of stuff for Bitcoin. I'd be interested to know how much he's contributing towards developers because those developers are like 
guardians for his 4.175 Bitcoin. No, it's not calling anyone out. Just think about it. It's just the rational choice that you should consider if you hold enough Bitcoin, then you should give it to the developers that keep your money alive. This is what every person with a couple of brain cells should really consider. Um, I recently had Sergey from BitRefill on the show and he he was very practical with his opinions on Bitcoin and uh, he was very much... uh, uh, very much talking about utility Mm -hmm. over ideology. And I know this is something you tweeted about. Danny's giving me... Do you want to bring up the tweet? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to read your tweet. Mine? Yes. If you're the reason a pink-haired commie, they, them, doesn't join, use or develop Bitcoin, you're probably an enemy of Bitcoin. You may not think of yourself in that way, but it's true. You fail to separate tiny personal and significant ideology from the bigger goal. Mm Mm-hmm. Talk to me about this. I mean, Bitcoin, I think, goes through the cycle that every movement goes through, which is once it grows, it attracts many, many more people that start projecting their ideologies onto the movement. This has happened to the hippie movement, to the anarchist movement, to any, basically any movement that became large enough. And it's happening with Bitcoin as well. So this is a very natural thing to happen, I think. But um, I think... You know, once once the newcomers start conflating the core idea of Bitcoin, which is to be this immutable monetary system that we're building to escape the fiat system. Once you start conflating that with your ideology, you're putting off potentially half of the planet. And this is just absolutely not compatible with the goals of Bitcoin, which in my mind is to grow as fast as possible before states can co-opt it and take it away from us, basically. So if you're increased, and this is also, again, just a purely rational choice, I think, if you're interested in the success of Bitcoin, what you should do uh, is to welcome everyone who can join. And, you know, this is just a joke. If, but mm. if, you, if you're basing that on the color of the hair or the pronouns they use or whatever, then you're clearly missing the point. What you're doing is you're fighting for your own ideology and not for Bitcoin. Hmm. Because if you thought of Bitcoin, you would be saying, I don't care what you look like, I don't care what you believe. If you want to support Bitcoin, you're my friend. That's that's how I think of it. Well, this is why we've worked so hard to try and bring as many progressives into Bitcoin, which sounds counter to what you're doing, but actually is to try and make Bitcoin as open and uh, unideologically driven as possible. Because there is there is certainly a, a, a right-wing slash libertarian bent to a lot of, uh, to, to Bitcoin itself and a lot of the ideas regarding Bitcoin. And I think, so we've tried to, we've tried to move the education away from that, but trying to have a, as wide a range of voices as possible on this show. But I mean, I've, I, I certainly think I've been guilty of that sometimes, what you said there. And I think taking it back to immutable money, that's all we're trying to do is, is probably a, a very good thing. And uh, we will be stronger if we can separate these ideologies also from the overall goal, because that makes you vulnerable. It can basically, this is also some of the reasons why people leave is because people start talking about ideology so much instead of the, you know, the bigger goal of growing Bitcoin. I think, again, the most important thing is that the number of Bitcoiners goes up and I don't care what they believe in, in their daily lives. I literally don't care. I mean, because it's not interesting. I love this. Okay. Can we talk about AI? Let's talk about AI. All right, Danny, you're going to lead this one. Well, we went out last night with Obi and yourself, Callie, and we were talking a little bit about... Um, so I thought I was using AI. Turns out I'm not even scratching the surface. So we got into... 
Uh, you were just it, using a clever database. Like, <laughs> barely. Um, but we started talking about, is it baby GPT? I think it was talking about baby GPT and something called auto GPT. So this came off the back of, you know, the um, letter that Elon Musk has signed, basically saying we need to pause development while we figure out what's going on. Yeah, because we might all die. Yeah, but it sounds like that might be too late. Can you explain what that baby GPT or whatever it's called is? Uh, so... Uh, I don't know exactly what baby GPT is. I just heard about it yesterday as well. But what I can imagine it is, is that it's it's something on top of chat GPT. So chat GPT is basically this you know, stupid machine where you put in a prompt and it gives you text out. But so this is just single module what it does. But uh, from what we know about, you know, from cognitive science, basically, is that a human brain is built out of different different modules doing different things. One of them is to generate text, for example, generate speech in your brain, basically. But there are other parts that will just take the generated thoughts and evaluate them. For example, introspect them. Just criticize yourself before you speak, for example. You know, you have a thought, then you rethink it again, and you improve it, and then you speak. And just building these... Um, I don't think I have that part. <laughs> yeah, it can be turned on and off, and it depends also on uh, several different, let's say, neuro chemistry in your brain happening whether that part is strong or uh, weak but once you once you build these more intricate or more sophisticated systems with you know the core generator in the heart but all these different feedback loops into it that can take different data for example visual data again and also evaluate it with the generated text and so on you end up with truly you know frightening or magical things depending on how you want to look at it this show is brought to you by Ledger. Now, Ledger is the world's leader in Bitcoin security and is the best way to own and secure your private keys. If you're still holding Bitcoin on an exchange or with a custodian, it might be time to take your security a little more seriously because remember, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Ledger hardware wallets paired with the Ledger Live app are the easiest and safest way to start managing your private keys. You can send and sign your Bitcoin transactions with full transparency in the Ledger Live app and honestly, it couldn't be easier. I've been a Ledger user since 2017, and I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. The Nano S, to me, is the best hardware device on the market. So if you're not managing your private keys, please do go and check out the Nano S or the Nano S Plus now. Now, if you want to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. Next up, it is Iris Energy. Now, Iris Energy is the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. Their strategy is to target markets with low-cost excess renewable energy, and they build their own highly efficient Bitcoin data centers. And they are led by a seasoned management team with a track record of success across renewables, infrastructure, and digital assets. Now, Danny and I met them recently in Canada and were super impressed with Iris Energy and their values, which align with us. So they're such a great fit for what Bitcoin did. We are going to be working with the Iris Energy team on everything we do from podcasts to films to our live events and they're even sponsoring my football team, Real Bedford. So I'm really happy to be working with such a forward-thinking and sustainable Bitcoin company. Now, if you want to find out more about Iris Energy, please head over to irisenergy.co, which is I-R-I-S-E-N-E-R-G-Y dot C-O. Also today, we have Ledin. Now, from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of holding today without selling their Bitcoin. 
With recent events in the lending market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach as they don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. To find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. And the other thing that Obi was saying is that these now these systems that have been developed where instead of relying on like OpenAI and ChatGPT, um, you can create like a pretty dumb AI, a very basic AI, and get ChatGPT or whatever other system to, te- to teach it. And then you can run that on your own computer. And, yep. it, and within, I think he said, 30 hours, it can get to like 95% as good as ChatGPT. Yep. So, so the... The cat, and then that's completely like out of the cat's box. out of the bag. Yeah. yeah, this is why this this letter that these people are signing to stop development for six months uh, in OpenAI or whatever is absolutely useless. Because uh, even if you make OpenAI stop their development, there are already multiple GitHub projects out there that you can just download on your on your computer. You can run something like ChatGPT on your MacBook, uh, just leveraging the fact that OpenAI has already spent so much resources in training their AI. You basically spin up a stupid small AI on your computer and make it learn from the AI that just, you know, needed so much resources to to learn about it in the first place. So the future will be that it will be running on your computer. It will be your non-custodial AI basically running on your computer. And there is there is going to be no way of stopping this, like literally no way. And also Sam Altman. Yeah. Fuck him. But um Sam is it on Twitter? Is it Sam? Is oh, he the WorldCoin guy? The world yeah, coin guy. yeah and, and he and he's uh, running OpenAI, but um, he sold a large chunk of his like equity in OpenAI to Microsoft, at, like fairly low valuation for what that company is. And Obi was saying basically, he knows the gigs up, and in six months, like there'll be just a million different implementations that you can run on your computer. Yeah, it depends, like whether these companies manage to keep their monopoly on AI or not. Okay, so what I want to know is, you know, you said you can spin up an AI on your computer. Mm-hmm. I want to know if an AI has gone out there and spun up its own AI. Will it tell you? It won't. Ooh. No, but I, w- I want to know. <laughs> or it might. It might go, look, I've done this. You can't stop me. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whether it's made a decision to go and... Like imagine giving an AI some Bitcoin and making it, you know, able to to order stuff on the internet by a server, just replicate itself on the server, pay for the server with Bitcoin, spin up a, spin up a shop, a web shop selling a service. I don't know. Uh, uh, this is the end of Terminator 3. Have, you, have you, you seen the end of Terminator 3? I've not seen Terminator 3. not seen the start of it. I mean, go on YouTube. So I've got a question for you. You know how there's like, um, we can teach a computer to beat us at chess every single time. Mm-hmm. Will an AI learn to trade Bitcoin better than every Bitcoin trader in the world and just win every single trade? That's literally what all the traders are doing today. I mean, high frequency trading is basically AI trading. Hmm. No one, sh- I mean, no one should trade manually. Yeah. What happens when AIs are competing with AIs? Which is the better AI? Yes. You know what they do in the New York Stock Exchange? There's this interesting story. So they have these computer programs trading in the New York Stock Exchange. 
by the way, a fun fact, the property around the New York Stock Exchange is the most expensive property latency, on the planet. Because of latency. It's the latency with your fucking internet cable from yeah. your computer to the exchange you know that makes it? a difference. I do, because I've seen a movie that's all about trying to reduce the latency of like for yeah. high frequency trading. I can't remember what it so was. So the New York Stock Exchange, when you buy a server there or rent a server, they give you the guarantee that your cable, no matter how far it is from the outlet, will be the same length as everyone else's cable in <laughs> the same room. Fuck. Have you seen Terminator? Yeah, of course. Have you seen Terminator 3? Oh, I'm not sure. Put, put, if you search for the end of Terminator 3, I know it's going to be... Uh... It's a three-minute video, is that about right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> this is just a brilliant bit. Why didn't he tell us? Why did he lead us down here? live that was his mission pretty slow end there was never any stopping it John we could just let it go. Is that a bomb? Yeah. Hello? Can somebody hear me? This is Montana Civil Defense. Somebody please come in. Those high tech machines. Is he the robot? No. Is he there? It's John Connor. This is John Connor. Crystal Peak. Connor? What the hell is happening? Who's in charge there? I am. Did you not hear him say there was never any stopping it? Yeah. By the time Skynet became self-aware, it had spread into millions of computer servers across the planet. Ordinary computers in office buildings, dorm rooms, everywhere. It was software in cyberspace. There was no system core. It could not be shut down. The attack began at 6.18 p.m., just as he said it would. Judgment Day. The day the human race was nearly destroyed by the weapons they built to protect themselves. I should have realized our destiny was never to stop Judgment Day. It was merely to survive it. Together. Uh-huh, so it's the summer 2023. Uh, he tried to tell us. But I didn't want to hear it. Maybe the future has been written. I don't know. 
All I know is what the Terminator taught me. Never stop fighting. And I never will. The battle has just begun. Priming Terminator 4. Ah, oh, it does have the music. So, but do you understand why I brought that up, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, and the so plot plot. Uh, I'm going to give away the plot. So, um, if you haven't seen Terminator and you want, to, well, first you haven't seen it, you're a moron. But if you haven't seen it, you want to see it, uh, just skip this bit. But Terminator, I think, I think, because Matthew was talking about this. Was it Matthew? No, Freddie. Yeah, Freddie. Freddie. So Terminator One is based on Infinite Loop, and so um, you come back and you stop the Terminator. Um, but you never really stop it, so it's just the infinite loop. I think the Terminator 2 was based on linear, and I think Terminator 3 was based on, I think is a continuation of linear, but it was like, you could never stop it, you're never going to stop it, but you had to be ready. So be, pre- so be prepared, and be prepared to survive, to fight back. Yeah. Do you think this is realistic? I mean, it sounds a bit fatalistic, actually, to assume that things will go wrong from the get-go. Not from the get-go, but I th- who has it explained to us that? Think of it in terms of uh, errors and bugs. Yeah. So let's not be fatalistic about AI, but there will be bugs. And what if, what if a bug in AI is the fact that it tries to kill us? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think before something even remotely to what we've seen can happen, there needs to be a human that needs to make the decision first to build an AI that should kill all humans. So you need someone with a bad intent, first a human with a bad intent, I think, to to get into a situation like that. I, I think it's... You don't fairly... think, so you don't think an AI, if it is an AI, that itself becomes self-aware, that makes its decision itself? Yeah. Isn't that the point of AI? It thinks for itself. Yeah, I think uh, th- this is generally known as AGI, this artificial general intelligence, where people assume that it will be able to make decisions and has motivation to do stuff, which you it hasn't been told to do. Right, like a human, you would just sit in a room and then just come up with a goal. Like I want to move somewhere and see something, but an AI wouldn't do that. Like a classical AI wouldn't do it. You would need to have a human that tells it some first initial goal. That initial goal could be just survive, no matter what, no matter what happens, survive. If you give an AI that goal, which sounds first, I mean, it's a dangerous goal to give, then it might start, you know, taking considerations of, you know, maybe I kill all the humans. That's how I survive. So as humans, are we given a goal to survive? Is that inherent within our biology or our evolution? Does our brain develop with goals? That's, a, that's an unanswered question, I think. But uh, there's, there are theories that say that, uh, you know, the entire brain and everything that we have is just something for the DNA to actually replicate. So the, the actual goal of life is in the DNA itself, which is to replicate the DNA. So then, re- replicate, improve and survive. Yeah, and everything follows from the replication. Just, you know, everything that even the, the fact that you go seek food, uh, but also maybe even the fact that we uh, travel to space to explore the universe uh, might be caused by this initial goal that kicked off this development, which is for DNA to replicate. So this is this is one of the ideas. Oh, we're going to go deep now. I kind of need some weed. Um, <laughs> so did... <laughs> So I would question then, was our DNA programmed to evolve and to replicate or did it spark from a primordial soup and it was a fluke of that? It could have been a happy little accident and it could be that 
many happy little accidents happened, but all of them died and just one survived with this property of being able to replicate. So perhaps even without somebody telling an AI to survive, it could be lots of hundreds of thousands of little happy accidents and one of them has the survival instinct. It could be. It could be that if you just generate many, many different uh, AIs with different goals, that the one with the you know the drive to survive will be actually the one that survives yeah. because it will kill off all other AI. Yeah, if if it's if it's necessary for survival, maybe yes. But again, I think in that you know, it's like saying we have gene editing now with CRISPR, for example. Yeah. Right. So people are freaking out about it because it will probably kill humanity. It could happen. I mean, we could produce a virus. I mean, we shouldn't, but someone could produce a virus <laughs> that just kills everyone. It's possible. But in order for that to happen, you need you need a person that has this goal. I don't think that... Or an AI with access to CRISPR. Doing what and why? So just to survive, what does... What would that mean to the AI? Does that mean current threats or future threats? I mean, so if an AI recognizes that it was created by humans, it might recognize that only humans can end it. Therefore, it kills off the humans before the humans can end it. And that's part of its survival. Does it plan its survival ahead? Yeah, it probably plans ahead because, I mean, it needs to know the outcomes of its actions. That's how you make good actions. But, uh, I mean, why aren't, why aren't we discussing the the possibility of a good symbiosis with an AI. Maybe that's the way the AI survives, is to have the best kind of symbiosis with humans, just living along with them and improving human life so it can still persist. Because maybe we will be able to, you know, turn it off and it realizes that in order to be not turned off, it needs to be uh, actually useful. I think we're cynical and fatalistic though. And life imitates art. I think, yeah, it does. And I think, you know, these these stories are only interesting if they are, you know, fatalistic like that. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, think we're, I think we're all going to die. <laughs> I do. Well, on that note, look at this. <clears throat> oh, great. You're going to show us how we're all going to die. Yep. Uh, so this is something Obi showed us again last night. Mm -hmm. This is like, I don't know what, I don't know what you call that. A, a ro basically a robot that's going to interface. It's an Android. With, yeah, an Android. There you go. And look when this is going to be released. What, summer 23? This yep. is called One X Tech for, tech for anyone listening. And Do you know what like, this is? It's like iRobot. It's iRobot. Do you remember the... Yeah, go to YouTube. Have you, you must have seen iRobot. Yeah, of course. I, do you know what? I think iRobot shouldn't have worked and it worked. The, the movie, you mean? Yeah, it shouldn't have worked, but it did work. But do um find... You know the scene where it's got them all together? And all the robots lined up. And it up. goes like... Yeah, it yeah. moves. Uh -huh. Yeah, can you find that scene? Um, but you were not so... Uh, you were a bit sceptical on this thing, right? Yeah, I am. Um... Detective, what are you doing? Well, he said they've all been programmed with the three laws. So that means we have 1,000 robots that will not try to protect themselves if it violates a direct order from a human. And I'm betting one who will. Detective, put your gun down. Why do you give them faces? Try to friendly them all up, make them look all human. These robots are not You can make a great meme out of this. Oh, yeah, you, you could. Trust <laughs> These robots are USR property. Not me. These things are just lights and clockwork. Are you crazy? Let me ask you something, Doc. Does thinking you're the last sane man on the face of the earth make you crazy? Because if it does, 
Maybe I am. That's it. Uh -huh. Love it. I just absolutely Beautiful. love this. I mean, the film shouldn't have worked. When it's explained, it shouldn't have worked. When you watch the trailer, it shouldn't work, but it actually did work. So when you see this, uh, do you get afraid of, of it? Um, I would have designed it differently. <laughs> I can't figure out if he's just got like a pair of like smart trousers and shoes on. Yeah, I'm a bit skeptical that this thing will actually be as agile as they say, because as far as I know, the state of the art is Boston Dynamics, and that is like a bunch of uh, hydraulic motors that really, you know, you can you can hear the motor uh, yeah. running and those weird dog walking things. Have they got any video of this? Yeah, I don't. Know. I don't. Hold think on, there's Neo and Eve. No, I don't think that. Show, show us Eve. No, I think it's called Neo Eve. Are you sure? I think. What's the most impressive about this is the set of investors. Well, that's way less cool than it yeah. was. <laughs> yeah. It's like that meme. You know the meme with the like, uh, is it the horse? The real... <laughs> yeah, the drawn one. Exactly. <laughs> this is how they will look like, I think. This so they're on wheels. They can't even walk. Okay. I'm way less scared of it that's, now. <laughs> yeah, that's proper budget. <laughs> look at his face. <laughs> but actually, I think before, before these things will become... I mean, uh, it's being demoed here as well, but I think these robots will be much more important in production and in, com uh, you know, yeah. in, in factories uh, uh, doing, doing manual work. Can you, get a <laughs> you can buy the Boston Dynamics robots, can't you? No, yeah. Can you on the website? Should we buy one? I think like 100 grand. What? Ah, oh, fuck. I kind of want one, though. The dog? I yeah, think I they're the knockoffs. Dog. They're knockoffs. I mean, Chinese knockoffs. Really? Or something. Yeah, yeah. For the Boston Dynamics? Yeah, for the dog itself. Have you seen um, Metalhead? Oh, what's the series? Uh, Black Mirror? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's basic. It. It's literally Metalhead. Yeah. yeah. Which, I, by the way, I think that's the best Black Mirror episode. Mm -hmm. But have you seen the video of the one where they gave it a gun? Yeah, I did. Have you seen it? I yeah. don't think so. Oh my I God, did. go to YouTube. Search for Boston Dynamics dog gun. It's fucking and insane. These things can run fast. <laughs> yeah. This is going to blow your mind and freak you out. This? That one. Watch this. This is absolutely insane. <laughs> so, see, this, is, this is a knockoff. This is not from Boston Dynamics oh, it's not. itself. So it's even worse. <laughs> Isn't that fucking freaky? It's so weird. Imagine you went to your front door and that was outside. I mean, this is what the wars of the future will look like, no? For sure. For sure. So that's not even a Boston Dynamics one. Right, can we go to, can we, let's go and buy one. <laughs> that's creepy. Can you get the Boston Dynamics website up? <laughs> yeah, you just got to contact Yeah, but what, what does it say? Uh, I want one, let's get one. <laughs> so, so, so it, okay, obviously AI, we, we believe it can do some good things. We're already yep. using versions of AI that's not real AI. Uh, I think it is. It is. It's, oh, it not, is. it's not artificial general intelligence. It's not AGI, but it's definitely AI. Have you told him how you've been using it? Yeah, we, but again, like I say, it's, we're not even scratching the surface. So Callie was telling me, um, there's this website that's like GitHub for AI projects. I don't know. Yeah, Hugging called. Face. Um, and there's a program called Jarvis. I think, did he say Microsoft have created this? Well, there, there are AIs already that can make use of other AIs. So you can have like one central AI that knows, you know, that has the ability to Google, uh, to recognize images, to recognize speech, produce speech. The different AIs, and then you can build like something like a meta AI thing that knows how to access these other AIs. So once you start putting these things together, which we didn't start yet, we're just barely, you know, seeing how 
uh, OpenAI can do text recognition and image recognition at the same time, which already is very powerful. But once you put these things together, it just goes exponentially from there. So you can ask one AI to do to do a task for you, and it'll go out and like use all the other AIs to complete that task, then come back to you with the completed task. What about the task that we need at the moment? Uh, I think that file's gone. Ha ask AI. I, I have. I, I was literally going through like troubleshooting with GPT. What's your task? Uh, so we had a file corrupt and I've lost it. Uh -huh. um, and I can find the file, but the audio is like cut off halfway through. Oh. Um, well, I, I don't know if I can find the original file. Basically, I'm trying to find a, a recover a file from my computer. The file recovery software won't work. And I was like going through it, troubleshooting with ChatGPT3. It gave me some good options, but I still can't find it. So what we were thinking, can we use, we've got the audio from the camera, mm -hmm. but it's not this quality. It's not this mic quality. It's from the camera. I so I sound a bit echoey and tinny, but we also do have my voice patterns from this. So could we take the two and get AI to uh, uh, basically take my voice from this, take my, uh, uh, the words I said and redo them? Can yes. we get? Yeah, I think we can. Fantastic okay. idea. I don't know if there is an AI that can do that just out oh, of the box. Let yeah. me show you this. This Khaled. is insane. Now all you have to do is record reference vocals and replace it with a trained model of any musician you like, which is exactly what I did. I found this Kanye style beat on YouTube. I wrote eight bars and I'm going to record them now and then I'm going to have AI Kanye replace me. I got a fantasy that's beautiful, that's dark and twisted, but I attacked the whole religion all because of my ignorance. What was I thinking? That was some bitch shit. I lost Adidas, but I'm still Yeezy. Back in the kitchen, man, I'm a genius. Boys in the hood, just like I'm easy. Kanye, we Southside of Chicago, life ain't easy. All praise be to Lord Jesus, Donda, please rest easy. All right, let me cut it there. Let me cut it there. So let's hear those vocals I just recorded now with Kanye over them. I got a fantasy that's beautiful, that's dark and twisted. But I attacked the whole religion because it's, of my It's insane, isn't it? What was I thinking? That was some bitch shit. This is what you need, actually. I'm going to become a rapper. <laughs> Honestly, this stuff, the speed of change we're seeing with everything at the moment, it's like almost every day something new's coming out. Yeah, it's in the last couple of months and it's been going crazy. You can close your eyes for a couple of days and you won't recognize your environment anymore. It's insane. Yeah. It's literally insane. And we already know they're replicating around the world on computers connected to the internet mm -hmm. and they could be cool one of the ais are talking to each other one of two ais are like hey, mate i've got an idea well that's like the plot of her isn't it that yeah mm -hmm. and that's the plot of um terminator okay so you could have they'd be like all right mate i've got, I've got an idea we need to get rid of these human dickheads <laughs> But I'm, I'm very, very uh, optimistic about it. I think it just solves so many problems at once. It makes work so much easier. People are also <laughs> concerned about all the jobs, job loss and that, everything that it will lead to. I think, uh, I think it's good that it leads to job loss. We just have to find a way to deal with it. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with that. I mean, the, the, the kind of, I mean, we made a documentary here in Bedford and part of that was driving up to one of the Amazon warehouses. Mm -hmm. These places are grim. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they're I think, they are, well, we've essentially replaced bookshops on the high street where you go in and you would speak to somebody like a, a local and they'd talk to you about the books and you, you know, you flick through some and buy one to these giant fucking warehouses where people would clock in, clock out, and they're just doing a repetitive manual job where everything they do is tracked to the minute, to the second to be as efficient as possible. Thankfully, we will replace those with robots and get people out yeah. to enjoy the life they were they were gifted rather than doing this fucking bullshit for minimum wage. I, I, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. But 
but how uh, my fear is this like kind of like dark side of silicon valley whereby um we concentrate the wealth into fewer and fewer people and there isn't an opportunity for them to use that time for other productive things that's my fear the other side is potentially what we do is we we make things more efficient for being able to provide for other people so you know we head towards that singularity on energy so energy can become cheap and plentiful i just don't know which one i don't know which which way we go I, I, i'm always cynical and skeptical of humans mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe we should be more optimistic about ai maybe they'll fix our yeah. faults uh, our, our faults god It's fascinating. I think uh, as humans we'll be faced with a lot more uh, with our nature even closer than we are uh, already are once we don't have to do all the physical work anymore to survive. So once you don't have to go to work anymore because society has evolved there, you need you really need to ask yourself what you want to do with your life. I know many people and I respect them a lot doing a lot of really heavy work with their bodies and they go to work because they need to in order to survive and sometimes they also say this is you know this is the best of realities because what would i do otherwise and this is a question that we all need to ask ourselves right once you come to a place where you don't have to work then you really need to ask yourself what do you want to do i think uh, science and art and you know these these uh things that we do in our minds are, are going to be much more important in the future because it you know the, the the necessity of doing physical work will be lifted from our shoulders i'm really looking forward to that it's going to probably cause some kind of an existential crisis because now we're faced with you know with the question what you want to do when um i used to work in advertising in london when i quit i had a year off work and i t- i just said i'm not going to work for a year mm-hmm. And the first month was really, really fucking hard because I did not know what to do with my time. Mm-hmm. I, when you can get up every day and do what you want, it's filling that time at first becomes really difficult. I was like, what am, what am I going to do? And uh, yeah, to begin with, I kind of watched a lot of TV, sat on the couch, and I was like, I can't carry this on. So I started going to the gym, and then I would go and do any class Whatever there was, I would do it. I was doing Pilates with a bunch of old ladies at eight in the morning and then I'd swim. And, and then what happened? I started to fill my time with exercise outside, cooking. And I was probably 30, 40 pounds lighter than I am now. I looked great. I felt great. Honestly, life was fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. And over the last five years, I've refilled that with more and more work for some reason. <laughs> I've, I've got rid of that amazing life I had to fill it with a different life, which is amazing in other ways, but... Mm-hmm. but It was brilliant having that time. Have you ever had a lot of time off? Not like that, no. It was amazing. It was also at a time when my mum was dying, so I got to spend a lot of time with her and, you know, spent her last year with her when, you know, not working, which was, you know, a gift to, to have that time. But it was good. And I sometimes, I, I look back on that and I think, why am I doing? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with your time? Um, I think I'm going to keep working on Bitcoin. This is... For me, you know, it's similar to what I just described. I think it's something that I could identify for my life as a very, you know, as this giant project. It's a worldwide project that will outlive myself. And it it just needs many people building the foundations of it for maybe hundreds of years. And I think it's it's a beautiful thing to be able to participate in something that is bigger than you. I think this is what you can end up with if you have enough freedom in your life to look around and look for things that interest you and bitcoin is the, it's is, is the thing that i found 
Uh, I think there are many other things that you could do. I really respect everyone doing arts and sciences. I think these are these are the things that that just carry us humans further. Um, but I I will be probably just spending my time working on Bitcoin like so many others as well. That's beautiful, man. What would you do, Danny? Keep working on Bitcoin too. We're working on Bitcoin in our weird little way. Yeah, you are definitely, absolutely. Football for me. It will all be focused on football. But anyway, we've got a football match to go to. Are you excited? Yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> Kelly, you're a, an amazing human, and uh, I'm really glad we got to meet. And I want to spend more time with you, and I want to do this again um, Thank you, as Pete. soon as possible. Uh, you're an amazing asset to Bitcoin, and uh, anything we can ever do to help, you have our details. You reach out to us. Where do you want to send people? Um, I'll send them over to my Twitter. It's KaliBTC and uh, send them over to Cashew.space. If you're a developer, please look at it. If you want to support Cashew, then go there. You'll find ways to support it and just look into Bitcoin. Please help us build Bitcoin. Be a developer in Bitcoin. Look into how you can uh, contribute to open source projects. Thank you, brother. You take care. Thank you too. All right. What do you think of that one? Do you enjoy that one as much as I did? Yeah, I love this show. And I really love Callie's uncompromising views on privacy. Now, I've sometimes struggled with Feddy Mint and eCash because in the past, it's always been not your keys, not your Bitcoin. But Callie lays it out here. It makes perfect sense where he said, this shouldn't be a large stash of your Bitcoin. It's just an easy way to move Bitcoin around. Now, if you can accept a small amount of custody risk, you should act accordingly and keep a small amount in there. Anyway, I do hope you enjoyed this one. If you do have any feedback, please do get in touch. My email address is hello or what Bitcoin did or jump into our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash what Bitcoin did.